Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's Wednesday, October 15th, which means we're just a little more than four weeks from the start of college basketball. The season tips on November 14th, and I'm going to be at the Naval Academy for the inaugural Veterans Classic on that day. It's Michigan State Navy VCU versus Tennessee. There's going to be two top 25 teams on display. It should be fun. Either way, uh, we are smack dab in the middle of our preseason rollout here at CBSSports.com. Lots of conference previews and stuff. As usual, Matt Norlander is here with me today on the Ion College Basketball Podcast, which, of course, is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio for a free trial and 10% off. Go to squarespace.com slash CBS Sports and use the offer code FUN. Matt Norlander, how are you? I'm good, man. We got a few things to talk about, but I think uh, we'll save them for the end of the podcast, non-hoops-wise, because you saw Pearl Jam last night. True. Right? Okay, so we're, let's just, you know, for those that listeners that love Pearl Jam, let's let's get to that at the end. And I actually, I saw Gone Girl last night, which I believe you saw, right? Yes, I saw okay, that. Okay, I just want to talk about, I want to talk about that movie for like four minutes at the end of the podcast. Absolutely, we will, we will get to both of those things. Here's my first question for you, basketball related. Are college basketball autographs worth anything? What, when are we going to get our good college basketball autograph scandal? We've got Johnny Manziel, Todd Gurley, now Jameis Winston. When are we going to get basketball players signing autographs inappropriately? Well, okay, so this is so wild you bring this up. And so just so listeners know, we we prep for the podcast. We don't really, for the benefit of like true conversation, we don't usually go over what we're going to talk about. But I swear this morning, I was like kind of making breakfast and I was just, you know, the mind wanders. And I was thinking, I just can't remember like college basketball really ever going through these kind of sagas that college football was. And I was thinking like, okay, Winston, Manziel, Gurley. I'm trying to think like, wow, what if like Frank Kaminsky like ended up getting inside and like, you know, and, and okay. So it would be Kaminsky and Trey Lyles at Kentucky or something like just like two or three, like significant college basketball players. It would kind of turn our, our world upside down for whatever reason we've dodged that, um, the autograph thing has never. I, I think it. I actually know the reason. I, I think okay. uh, the re- because the stars of college basketball are only in college basketball for five months. Yeah, that's typically the. I, I mean, think that's, yeah. like like if Andrew Wiggins and Julius Randle and Javari Parker were all back in school this year, they could theoretically be caught up in something like this, or at least have the opportunity to. But by the time college basketball stars become famous enough to where their autographs might be worth something to somebody. Um, they're, they're pros, right? I mean, that's the way this usually goes. I think that's part of it. Um, I also think when we're discussing the players involved here, what do they all have in common? They're players in the South where football is obviously religion. Sure. And there's certainly, uh, an element to that, that I think really feeds upon a fan base and how they crave that kind of stuff. I mean, we even see how it's become this, uh, <laughs> this, Sort of Roman ritual when Alabama opens its stadium and you have fans literally sprinting on the field to be the first to get Nick Saban's autograph, you know. Which is which is bananas. Like, I get it. I was a kid once. I, I guess everybody was a kid once, <laughs> but including In me. Theory. In theory. Including me. Um, but, like, so I, I can remember, like, standing, you know, at Bush Stadium, uh, you know, t- getting autographs from St. Louis Cardinals. Like, I have a picture of, like, Mark McGuire signing autographs. Um, like, so I get it for kids. What is up with adults 
asking other adults for autographs. Does that strike you as odd? It's odd unless the adult is, is specifically needing to do it for a kid who is unable to or perhaps too shy. Then obviously I understand. Like if I have a seven-year-old and at one point he really wants, you know, if I'm still doing this job and he really wants a coach's autograph, yeah. Uh, you know, if my seven-year-old absolutely needs – you know, insert coach's autograph. In most cases, if I can get it, I will. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, honestly, I think the whole autograph thing, once you're able to drive a car, I think that's <laughs> when it should really die off. I only have, you know, what's interesting, actually, the only autographs I have I got when I was young, I have the entire, like, 88 Royals, and that's got Bo Jackson and George Brett because they stayed at a hotel my father worked out in Florida one time, whatever. So I still have that baseball. And when I was like three, I don't even remember. I met Mickey Mantle. And so I have Mantle's autograph and that's actually kind of cool. Um, but I mean, so I've kept those cause I got them then, but by uh, there, I would have, and I guess part of it's cause it's what we do now. And so we're just so ingrained in sports culture and we talk to these people in a lot of cases with, you know, coaches that we would consider, you know, uh, you know, friends might be a little too, but we know them personally. Sure. I mean, getting an autograph just doesn't even seem, I don't know. I've, I've been so removed from that sort of mindset that it, it does boggle my mind that a 25 year old would sweat out a 94 degree day in July to get Nick Saban's autograph, but it's something that still exists. And, and weirdly, I think it only primarily exists to that degree still in the, in the sports realm with memorabilia because uh, I read something, I think it might have been The Atlantic a couple months ago. You know, the selfie has kind of replaced the autograph. I think because, that's, yeah, I think like having a selfie with somebody is way better than having just their, their their signature. Like I'm sort of the weird sports writer. I don't have any sports memorabilia, nothing. I don't yeah. have, I don't have any, like if you were in my home, in my office, um, even in like my poker room, whatever. Like there is no sports memorabilia. I have nothing. It, to the extent that I have stuff, it's stuff from my childhood that is in an attic. But I have nothing on display. Not a single thing. Huh. I've got a few random things, but it's not... I have more music memorabilia um, than sports stuff. But yeah, the, uh, some, I don't know. It's, I think uh, some of it is um, the reason it's so odd to me is because you touched on it. It's our profession. Like, um, yeah. like you know... When I meet an, an, a musician that I'm a fan of, like still today, like that still resonates with me. I still think that's, yeah. that's really cool. And yet meeting an athlete, you know, um, doesn't register with me at all. Like I can remember like meeting Michael Jordan as, you know, when I was at CBS, he was at, you know, one of the, he was one, like one of the July camps, like LeBron camp or something uh. like, but there's Michael Jordan there, you know, because yeah. he like, you know, runs a basketball franchise and, um, you know, he like introduced himself and it was like. It, it, like I, you had that moment where it's like Jesus, that's Michael Jordan. That like, one would, you know, I'm yeah. a, I grew up a massive Bulls fan, a huge Bears fan. That one would just be surreal for me if ever if it ever happened, just because I that, mean, that, for almost anyone though, it's it's Michael Jordan. He's right. one of the most famous humans ever. So that one almost got me, but even then, I was like, yeah, it's just a basketball player. Even though yeah, he's, no, he's, I get even you. though he's clearly not a ba but like if I were to like meet Paul McCartney, like I would think that's the coolest thing in the history of everything. Oh right? yeah, forget about it. You know, so something like that. So uh, I I think maybe the reason it doesn't read the idea of of. Um, getting autographs and, and collecting autographs doesn't register with me is, is probably rooted in, in in my profession. Either way, I sort of joked on Twitter the other day about when the Jameis Winston story came out where, if folks don't know, he's, um, at least they're investigating. And keep in mind, it's Florida State investigating, so, you know, it, it probably will amount to nothing. <laughs> but they're at least investigating how yeah. roughly 900 
autographed items um, were authenticated uh, with 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 Jameis Winston's signature, right? I mean, it, it's 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 an obvious red flag, and they, they seem to be um, sequenced in a certain way. That if you talk to autograph collectors, memorabilia people, they will tell you that it, it seems incredibly unlikely, if not impossible, that this was just nine hundred random signatures all ending up at the same place. I mean, it looks like what it is, which is he signed. Um, 900 pieces for somebody for whatever reason. Perhaps he did it out of the goodness of his heart, but we know that's probably uh, not true. Doesn't mean they'll be able to prove it, but whatever. Um, the the point I find interesting about all this is, okay, so we, you know, Manziel got caught up in it, right? Before him, really nobody ever had, not high profile, not to that degree. He got caught up in it and then got away with it essentially, because they couldn't prove that he took the cash, even though common sense suggests that he took the cash. Once Manziel got caught up in that, why, if you're Todd Gurley and Jameis Winston, would you do that? Because there are a lot of yes. ways. I, I'm not even saying why would you take improper benefits, Like, because I understand why you would take improper benefits. Like, you don't have money. You want money. Somebody's willing to give it to you. Like, I get all that. You know, it rolls downhill. Somebody's going to catch it. What I don't get is why you would take money for signing autographs because you are quite literally creating, creating evidence. evidence. Yes. yes. You are creating cuz that's like that, that those items that you sign they're not going to stay in someone's home. They're going to be available for public consumption, which means they're very easy to find for anybody interested in finding them and as soon as they find 900 items with your name on it, they're going to ask you why are there 900 items with your name on it? And there is no good answer for that question. And so like I get taking while recognizing the rules are the rules i get why you might take money from an agent i get why you might take money from a booster i get why you might take money from a coach i don't get why you would take money from an autograph dealer because again you are every time you sign your name you are creating evidence that's later we found out going to be used against you it just seems so crazy to me uh totally agree it's mind-boggling how they could have even gotten themselves in this kind of situation but with winston he's kind of proven himself to be something of an idiot i mean honestly <laughs> that I, that sounds harsh but really it's not i mean when you yeah. look at everything he's been through um and is still going through it's it's hard to drum up a lot of sympathy for a kid who's got a lot of natural talent but just does not seem to be that bright whatsoever and he's gone from a potential, you know, number one pick to a, a guy who I, I believe, you know, if you talk with or read any NFL insiders, he's kind of really just falling on a lot of draft boards because why could you ever even trust a guy with your franchise if he's acted like this? Bill Self, by the way, to kind of bring this back to college hoops, um, it, we're ta we're recording here during Big 12 Media Day, and Bill Self has spoken already, and someone had passed along a tweet that Self has basically said, if you ever have anyone that seems to be a fan come up to you and, and ask for an autograph, you must ask specifically who to make it out to. You know, he. I don't think he's he's huge on his players signing them, but if if it's one of those things where you know Kansas people are around, just put it out to a person specifically, and that might you know hinder any possible problems down the road. Um, which I guess is good advice. No, but. I think that's great advice because, like, if you genuinely want it for yourself, you don't mind that it says to Matt or to right. Gary. In fact, you probably like that better. Yeah. But, but and and if you don't want that on there, I mean that that suggests that you're not really after the autograph. You're it. you're yeah. after the autograph for to try to you know sell it. And 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 I actually heard of a, a professional athlete doing this, and I can't remember who it is. And it it, it is a little. It can be um um 
time consuming because you you know you're having to actually rather than just scribble your name over and over again, you are in a group of people having to ask, okay, what's your name? How do you spell it? That kind of stuff. So like it can it can like you know right. extend the, the the autograph session so to speak. But it, it is one way if you are fundamentally against the idea of people profiting off of your signature. And that, that's what a lot of this is. Like if you go to the Westin outside FedEx Forum in Memphis, and I only bring that up because it's where I live, um, you know, on game, Grizzly game days, there will be adults out there with like books of pictures and cards and stuff. And they're just waiting for the opposing team, like Kobe Bryant to walk out or, or, or you know, it doesn't even have to be Kobe Bryant. It could be anybody, right? Wesley Matthews. And they're getting people to uh, autograph as many items as possible and so that they can then put them on eBay or wherever it is folks sell things these days. And so um, I, I can't remember the athlete, but there was one who said he will never sign an autograph that's not actually addressed to somebody, to Mike, to Bill, to Kelly, to whatever, uh, because he doesn't mind signing for people if it's genuinely going to be something for them. But the idea that he's going to stand there and scribble his signature so somebody else can profit off of it just isn't appealing to him. Of course, that's not what we allegedly have going on with Gurley and Manziel and, and Winston. They, they seem to be, again... We don't have proof, but seem to be uh, people who were hired to sign uh, for the, um, you know, uh, obvious reason of, of somebody else reselling those items for profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So but I think that's good advice for Bill. Like, hey, listen, you don't want your signature, 900 of them ending up on a memorabilia store, then then make them out to everybody. Here's one for Sally. Here's one from Susan. Here's one from <laughs> uh, Jeff and so on and so forth. So anyway, like you said, this is a college basketball uh, podcast. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit. I wrote a column yesterday um, about Andrew Harrison, who um, it's sort of built around the idea that his brother, Aaron, gave an interview to Cal Tucker, our buddy from the Louisville Courier-Journal, uh, where they, they, they discussed a variety of things. But on the subject of Andrew, Aaron Harrison said he was the most unfairly criticized player, or one of the most unfairly criticized players in college basketball last year. And I get it, and this is sort of the way I started the column. He, 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 that's his brother. That's his twin brother. He's a loyal The sibling. guy who did not hit the big shots, by the way, if you're kind of still Andrew Aaron. <laughs> yeah, Aaron right, I don't right. know who. Aaron was the one who had kept hitting those huge threes to keep Kentucky alive. Sure. Okay, right. Yeah, a Andrew was the point guard. Aaron's one, the one who hit all the shots in the tournament. And so... Um, Aaron said, listen, Andrew, uh, I was really proud of the way he played in the tournament because he was one of the most unfairly criticized players in college basketball last year. And um, while acknowledging, listen, that's his brother being a good brother, and I get it, I would defend my brother as well. The reality is he was not unfairly criticized. Like, if you're looking for somebody who was unfairly criticized last year, it's, it's Andrew Wiggins, a guy who, you know, led the Big 12 uh, champions in scoring against a schedule that ranked... Uh, among the hardest in the past two decades, according to the RPI, so on and so forth. He, Andrew Wiggins was projected to be the number one pick. He became the number one pick and yet was still relentlessly and consistently criticized by uh, lots of dumb people and even a few smart ones. Um, but Andrew Harrison, like he wasn't good last year. He or it, it, it certainly wasn't good relative to what he was supposed to be according to the ways we determine what people are supposed to be. I don't know if folks remember this, but he was a consensus top five national recruit, not top five point guard, top right. five national recruit, number one point guard in America. He was um, essentially considered, at least according to recruiting rankings, and even like, you know, mock drafts. He was a consensus top 10 pick in, in most mock drafts. Um, he was supposed to be the equivalent on paper of uh, John Wall, Derrick Rose, uh, 
Brandon Knight, uh, um, Tyreek Evans, other freshman point guards, one-and-done guys who have played under John Calipari, and he so clearly wasn't those things. And so what I tried to do is like just sort of acknowledge that. like Just because Kentucky ended up in the national championship game and Andrew Harrison played well in the tournament. Let's not pretend Kentucky was had a good season, you know, for four months, or that Andrew Harrison had a nice freshman season. That said, he didn't run from it, and I think that's kind of impressive. Most people had both of those kids out the door at Kentucky, almost regardless of the circumstances, and yet um, they both decided to return to school. and And he can turn um, what is. Um, I, I think a, a disappointing freshman year into a, um, a a nice college basketball story if he's able because most guys who are projected like him entering college they make up their minds they're going no matter what and yet these kids decided uh, to come back when their options were limited but they could still be professionals right now and so they could I, I guess my my point is a let's not pretend Andrew Harrison uh, was unfairly criticized he was accurately and appropriately criticized but b this can still really be a nice story i think it can uh i'm very intrigued with how andrew and i guess his brother as well i mean that team is going to be so deep it's going to be platoon in theory by calipari we might get waves of five and five out um is that going to be something that ultimately benefits him um there certainly will be less pressure on andrew this year um and then again you know how will how will tyler Ulis end up looking um and will that have any sort of effect positive or negative i think there's a lot of different ways that this could go with kentucky because ulis is not in any if anyone watched the combine or saw kentucky on tv over the summer when they had their bahamas thing ulis uh is so intriguing to me because he's not a typical calipari point guard this Mm -hmm. kid is small and he's an awesome passer and looks really composed but by no means is he going to be leaving after this first year to go to the nba andrew is a very different i mean he's well built he's six five maybe even 6'6", six, six, clearly a good 210 pounds or so, and uh, just a different kind of player overall. So I think he could benefit just by the mere nature of Kentucky's makeup and its roster and the ability to throw so many different looks at different teams, not have as much pressure on him. It could turn into a good story. I agree with you in that he was criticized given his expectation level, and I feel like he took on more than anyone else on that team Outside of Calipari, who for the first time, in my opinion, at his Kentucky career, and he'll welcome it because he knows he can take it and he knows he's the king of the mountain and all that stuff. But Cal got plenty of heat last year for how the team performed prior to the big um, March run because they were coming off again when they went to the NIT the year before. I don't think Cal took a lot of heat. And then when that kind of had some carryover with the 40-0 and talk and it didn't really culminate, I think outside of Cal, Andrew took on the most I don't think that'll be the case this year. Well, the problem uh, becomes like when you are the point guard and yeah, the offense, and when you're Cal's point guard, right, Jerry, when you're yeah. when you look at everyone that he sent, and there's you know, I know plenty of people listening can just tick off all the names and be, because it's legitimate, like he just sends points to the pros, you know. Yeah, and when you're the sort of the first one who doesn't measure up, I I know Ryan Harrow was the point guard the year before, but like nobody expected Ryan Harrow to be nobody expected, and he him wasn't to be, Cal's right. Recruit. Yeah, he didn't want well. He wasn't, I guess here's my point, right? Nobody expected Ryan Harrow to be awesome. They didn't expect him to be as bad as he was, but they didn't expect him to be awesome. Whereas people did think Andrew Harrison would be awesome because he was ranked and and described as that. I mean, when you are the number one point guard 
in your high school class, when you are a consensus top five recruit in the nation, and when you are in everybody's lottery of the subsequent NBA draft, you're supposed to be awesome. And he wasn't awesome. And, and so when he's not awesome, uh, that's going to bring the criticism. But also when the team isn't awesome, and it's some of it's rooted in the idea that the offense isn't running um, smoothly or efficiently, well, then that comes back to the point guard as well. And so, again, like as long as you – are on board with it's okay to, to criticize unpaid amateur athletes. Like, because some folks will just draw the line there and they say, well, you shouldn't be criticizing 18 year olds. Like I fundamentally disagree with that. We put kids on magazines, covers, mm-hmm. um, you know, if they don't play the way that they're supposed to play, it's, I think it's fair game to point that out. I mean, this is big boy stuff, right? I mean, it's a, you know, multi-million dollar uh, business, a billion in some cases. And so the idea that, um, you know, freshmen shouldn't be criticized or held to whatever. I mean, that's just not the way we do things in the year 2014. But um, the interesting thing now is, though he does have a chance to to really have, you know, this, because he did play well in the tournament, or, or certainly better than he did the previous months, but, um, and, and he has an opportunity to really capitalize on that. And he's apparently in, in better shape than he's ever been, 10 pounds lighter than he was at any point last season, so on and so forth. The truth is, like Tyler Eulis might be the best point guard on the team, and I could see a scenario where Andrew, yeah. and Andrew true point, true point guard. I think yeah. that's right, right, definitively. Right. We can say that. Yes, like Tyler Eulis is the best true point guard on the team right now. Andrew's obviously very talented, better pro prospect, but in terms of being a true point guard, he's not that. Right, and I wonder if we won't find out that Kentucky, like they can keep talking about that platoon stuff all they want. I'll believe it when I see it. And yeah. If we do a podcast on January fifteenth and they're still platooning, I'll say, you know what? Remember the podcast from October 15th yeah. I was wrong about that all right I'll, I'll be happy to admit I'm wrong if I'm wrong but I'll be surprised if they're platooning January 15th I could envision a scenario uh, where Kentucky is at its best when Ulyss is running things and Andrew and Aaron are both playing off the ball uh I agree can I ask you a side question here mm-hmm. that I just thought about um not not directly related to Kentucky but they're involved um, I figure we might as well address this now. So uh, preseason stuff, GP, we've got an interesting situation this year. You know, maybe my mind's just got recency bias and is playing tricks on me. But to me, I can't remember a season in the past half decade or longer where we've had more leagues, mainstream leagues, that have had overwhelming favorites to win it. So I'm going to just run them down here. You got the A-10, VCU is clearly it. Pac-12, Arizona, clearly it. Big East, Villanova, clearly it. Big Ten, Wisconsin, clearly. I would say the SEC is borderline Kentucky, clearly. I, if people want to toss Florida in, I would still say Kentucky is an overwhelming favorite to uh, to win that. Um, I would think Duke is going to get a little bit of a pushback, but they're a favorite. But my question is, of all the teams that I that I listed, you have Gonzaga is kind of you know, well you know what else is new? Sure. Uh, don't re- I won't really include them because they they're so consistently favored. But of the of the teams I listed there, who do you think is the biggest guarantee to to dominate and win their league? Because it's kind of tough to pick. I have my answer, but I was actually curious as to who you might think is the biggest. Uh, you know, guarantee that will, you know, wire to wire win their league. Because there's, there's oh, yeah. a lot of ones that seem like they're the obvious pick. Right. Like, so if this were a, like a survivor league, like, right. And, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the NFL Sundays, like you pick the team, you know, is not going to lose type thing. Like if we had to, I would take Wisconsin. We'll I, take Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah. I think Wisconsin is the, the surest thing because a, they're never not good. Right. So the sure. idea, the idea that, you know, we've seen Kentucky just randomly fall apart, you know, and, and some of that was rooted in Nerland's, um, um, 
uh, injury two years ago. But like last year, again, I know they played the national championship game. I was there, but they were not good most of the year. Um, so we've seen them not be great. We've never seen Wisconsin not be good. I mean, Wisconsin, you know, whatever the numbers are now, top four in the Big Ten every year under Bo Ryan, um, always in the top 25. And so when you combine just the, the history of the deal, that Wisconsin's going to be in the top four no matter what, and then understand that they probably are returning to the top 10 players in America, uh, I, I don't see a scenario under which they're bad. And, and the other thing is I don't know – who else in the Big Ten is going to be really, really good? Like, I think Nebraska could be good. I think Michigan State could be good. I think uh, Ohio State and Michigan and maybe even Iowa could be good. But it seems like the, the most separation between first and second of the power conferences, at least in my opinion, would be, yeah. would be in the Big Ten, Wisconsin, and everybody else. Well, I'm going to say that it's Arizona because... Yeah, that's a good one, too. I think Arizona's talent... Well, here's, here's the deal. So, um, Wisconsin... Yes, actually, uh, I think you, I the, actually got, I, I think you might be right. I think it well, might but be no, but here's the thing: you've got two of the top five players in America. I think on Wisconsin, okay, maybe two of the top ten at worst. Um, I would say the Big Ten is tougher at the top than the Pac-12, and that's why I might say Wisconsin is. Dude, I think Wisconsin's going to win it. I actually think it's hard for me to envision a lot of these teams picked to win it, not winning it, because I think there's a lot of distinctive qualities about all of them but i was just trying to you know bring up discussion of who we thought would be the best i like arizona because of the talent they have i think the pac-12 below them just isn't going to challenge uh but i could find holes like shaka smart still hasn't won a regular season title as a head coach granted this is only a sixth year but that is kind of one of those interesting facts he's never Uh, never won a conference title or conference tournament I don't, I don't, yeah. know, I don't know how many people realize that. Like, that's it's, isn't that wild? Like, and I, I, I wrote in our A10 preview that if he doesn't do it this year, that's going to be something just minor hanging around his neck. He should do it with this team. I mean, if it doesn't happen, that's going to be pretty surprising and kind of one of those pieces of trivia that's no longer really trivia because I think anyone that follows college basketball is going to know. But VCU should win it, but that's maybe something against them. Um, Kentucky, we know that they've faltered somewhat to a degree. Uh, Duke is going to have some issues, I think. Just Carolina will be good enough to challenge, and Louisville will be good enough to challenge. I don't think they're a gimme. Villanova should win the Big East, but you know they did have some random, I don't know, odd performances at the end of last year and getting whooped by Creighton. Villanova would actually be my number two. Wisconsin would be my number three. But I'm actually rooting... Like I want the the leagues to be obviously competitive and and to get a lot of bids, but I I would love it if we actually had a, a season where it was almost like Game of Thrones for college hoops, and that we'd have like these different lands and just clearly dominating teams. Like I'd love it if Wisconsin was a four loss team heading into March, and the same goes for Arizona, and the same goes for Duke, the same goes for Kentucky, because I actually think if you get to the tournament with clearly a lot of teams in that one and two spot that are that have run through their league with very minimal losses, I think that's good for the sport. So I, that's what we're forecasting. That's what a lot of people think. I'd love to see it come to be. Yeah, um, in terms of the, the leagues that would be most up for grabs, I mean, I, I think Duke's the favorite in the ACC, but there's so many other good teams. You can yes. see, you know, uh, any of them. Pop, you know, North Carolina's really good. Louisville's really good. Um, you know, Virginia's Virginia under Tony. Um, uh, uh, Syracuse is Syracuse, right? I mean, I... I I could I, I listen. I'll pick. I think I did pick Duke to win the league. Um, I'll have Duke preseason top five. I think maybe two. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. Maybe even second, right? But but um, you could certainly see Louisville or Carolina or any of 
of of those teams winning the ACC, and then the American Athletic Conference, I think, is probably up for grabs as yeah, well. Yeah, that's yeah, which is good. I mean, it's good to have a few uncertain leagues, and the American is. I mean, you like SMU, I like UConn right. and Memphis. I mean, it's going to be one of those three. We would almost uh, for sure think that's how it's going to shake out. By the way, quick side note on Wisconsin. I, my Big Ten preview. By the time people are listening to this, it'll be up on CBSSports.com. But the bonkers thing that I didn't realize in researching um the big 10 and overall just budgets uh basketballstate.com is a great little just historical site and it just but it tracks you know a public record for expenses do you realize wisconsin has the lowest budget in the big 10 okay it's at 1.4 million there that's that's 14th 13th is rutgers at 4.6 and a half million okay and overall, Wisconsin 242nd in the country in basketball budget, and yet Bo Ryan finishes fourth or better every freaking year. Like that's what is the ridiculous. explanation? No, I had no idea. What that is it, that what is, is un, like that should not be possible. Like yeah, 1.4 sounds a lot, but Indiana spends upwards of 10 million. Michigan State's right there. Illinois is upward of eight. Minnesota near seven. I don't know how you accomplish that. I, well, what, I frankly, what could be the explanation for it? Like why would you even try to accomplish that? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, like like your Wisconsin basketball. Like why wouldn't you spend more? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it kind of just goes to speak more of of just oh yeah no I mean it's Bo's amazing. ability. I mean he's he's obviously just tremendously respected for what he's done and what he's able to do as a coach. But there is zero reason why if you are 242nd in the nation in basketball budget, you should have uh, a team that went to the Final Four and then a preseason Final Four team again. Like no, that should not happen. That's wild. No, I was not yeah. aware of that. I, I guess some of it would be rooted in the idea that they recruit mostly in their area, but. Uh, still, that's bananas to me. Um, all right, let's go to some news and notes presented by Squarespace. One of the things that um, actually happened earlier this month, but we didn't talk about it all in last week's podcast, was um, you know, Butler coach Brandon Miller, still on a medical leave of absence, sort of came out of uh, nowhere. There's been some thought that you know people didn't see him out in July. I actually saw him out in July. I saw him, yeah, I yeah, did too. I think maybe you and I were sitting together. I don't remember. Yeah. But like I, I saw him out in July, and um, I've talked to some people around the program, and they were caught off guard by this, but nobody seems optimistic that this is going to be something where we're going to look up in a couple of weeks and he'll be back and coaching the team and all that stuff. Um, I, I don't know if he's expected back soon at or this season or at all, um, which is, you know, sort of speaks to the seriousness of, of whatever it is um, he's dealing with. Do you expect Brandon Miller to ever coach Butler again? Oh, man. Um all right, I will say right now. Yeah, I will I'll say, say no. I you'll say, say no. no. I'll say yes, but I'm not confident in it. I don't like. I'll be fully transparent. I don't know what he is dealing with. Um, I get the impression, and this is just an impression. I've not spoke with anyone that even. I get the impression that it is more stress related. Um, something to that degree. I think he, uh, you know, it was a, it was a tough takeover after Brad left. I mean, listen, Butler was unreal. We would talk about schools being good despite low budgets. I mean, Butler is the definition of overcoming that kind of stuff and having success. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty with the program with him leaving. Uh, you know, I hope he can get good as soon as possible. And if that means, stepping away from basketball coaching altogether by all means i mean there's certainly a case to be had that a lot of guys do this for the love of the game and and their personal health perhaps marriages suffer because of it um and if he is aware and able to kind of fix this at the age of 35 by the way 
dude, more power to Brandon Miller. I hope he gets good. And I hope if he does come back, it, he's fully energized in the right place and fully healthy with whatever he's battling. Let, let me ask I'll you, say yes, uh, but I'm not like it's I'm 51 49 on yes. Yeah. Let me ask you um, from a journalistic perspective. Because uh, I, I struggle with this sometimes. Okay, like uh, our job is to to get news, and uh, I mean our jobs are lots of things, but one of them is to get news and tell people things they don't know. And yeah. yet, this is a serious issue, and they clearly um, don't want to disclose what it is. Brandon clearly doesn't want to disclose what's going on, or or else they would. Um, and yet, um, you know, I, it, where do you draw the line on? Hey, I'm just doing my job, as opposed to yo man, like this is something serious he's dealing with. And if they don't want it out there, I, you know, I, I, are you, it's almost like, um, you know, outing somebody, um, or, you know, uh, uh, a a closeted gay man. Like you, you, you like where, like, like that, that's considered a no, no in journalism, right? Like if somebody, if somebody wants to come out, they could come out on their own terms, but, but you're not going to be the person to do that. And I, I just wonder if this is the sort of, of of the same fabric. Like, let's say that I called our bosses right now and I said, I know exactly what's going on with Brandon Miller and I can write it this afternoon. W- should I? Would I don't know that I would. I have a I have a legitimate hang up with that. I don't know how to handle that. Yes, I think it is a big time question of empathy and how ethics of journalism can cross over and create an issue where I, I would say I would say not. I would opt to not write the story out of respect for Brandon in the immediacy of his decision. Um, if you get something like this and a lot of time has passed, um, I think you readdress the question because, you know, there is a certain, I don't know, uh, there is a statute that I think can, can elapse after a certain amount of time, but it does depend on the situation and what the person is going through. Um, but if if it's something that clearly means a lot, like because here's the thing, this is affecting primarily him and his family and only that, right? It doesn't have, yeah, yeah. There are tangible, you know, aftershock effects of a program that you know Butler's not going to be as good with Brandon Miller not coaching, in my opinion, this year. So yeah, they'll probably be a little worse. But that's in the grand picture, not really the issue we're discussing here. We're discussing a guy's health and his well-being, and if you reporting on that would have any sort of real negative impact on that by making that sort of information public, I would say that especially now we opt not to report it unless, you know, and you get a lot of this with that kind of stuff. You get, you can get a lot of information from sources directly and they, and you get a sense of what they'd be okay with and not okay with. And yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's one of the biggest questions because, you know, in my opinion, if this same exact thing was happening with the president, we should know about it because it's the president of the United States. Sure. But it's the coach of a Butler basketball program. Sports journalism isn't exactly like you're working on Capitol Hill, and they're two different things. I, I think that's I think that's right. Like I I I would have a, a hard time reporting, um, you know, exactly what he's dealing with. A without his permission, or B, um, if I thought that it could make things worse. You know, like when you're dealing, um when somebody is going through something and, 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 and you doing something could, could maybe contribute to that in a, in a negative way. Like, I don't know, man. I, I just, uh, I, I think I'd have a hard time doing that. I mean, yes. listen, like if, if I knew Brandon Miller was interviewing for the 
Indiana job in three years, and he was like, "Listen, I don't want that out." Well, I don't care what you want. Like that's to me, that's a different deal. Like that, I now, agree. Now I'm I'm trying to you know I'm trying now, to because at that point he would you know yeah, him or but, take any other coach. They're kind of leveraging information to right. get a job, and that's well you know yeah, like, yeah whatever. I, that's a different deal. I just think yeah. when you're talking about health issues and and privacy. It, it it's um it, it's a blurry line, but I, I I think there's probably a line there. So um our our new colleague Sam Bassini um uh, posted on the Ion. Uh, college basketball blog, uh, some quotes from Bill Self and uh, about Kelly Oubre being a, a vocal leader at Kansas. It sort of got me thinking, like, you know, you look at that Kansas team, and, and I, I don't really know if they had an obvious and great leader last year. And you look at them now, and you wonder who, who the leader is this year. I mean, Perry Ellis comes to mind, if only because he's, you know, a veteran and a, and, and a talented and key player. Um, but at least according to early reports out of Lawrence, it, it might be uh, Kelly Oubre, and, and who is not even the most heralded freshman on the roster. That would be <laughs> Cliff Alexander. Does that surprise you at all? Uh, it does, because I actually was expecting Selden, Wayne Selden to maybe take on that role. Right. We'll see. Kansas is always fun. Uh, for anyone listening that hasn't seen Kelly Uber play yet, he's a freak. I mean, he's, he's going to awesome. be the latest. He's going to be the latest I, I, Kansas yeah. basketball physical specimen. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I mean, yeah, Wiggins oh. last year, Macklemore the year before. Just you know, go on down the line. Right. I mean, he's the he's the next one. He'll be drafted. Um, I actually think his range of what he'll produce is. I, I think it. He, I think he could very possibly average 17. But if you told me that Kelly Oubre averaged seven points this year, I wouldn't be surprised either. I don't know what to expect in terms of production with him. I think it's pretty good that he's that you're getting a freshman here. You know, because when you go to the past two physical freak freshmen, Wiggins and Macklemore, they were definitely introverted in a lot of ways. I mean, Self went on the record multiple times with both of those players and said they're. They're just not as aggressive as I want them to be. They need to. They need to command more. They need to be more of an alpha. If Uber is going to be that, then maybe we're going to see a, a different sort of aggressive streak with Kansas this year. I still think Perry Ellis will lead the team in scoring, but that's positive coming out of you know the Big Twelve in Kansas. Who, by the way, we kind of glossed over in talking about uh, favorites. They're actually not the overwhelming favorite in the Big Twelve, but again. Bill Self has won 10 in a row. I will never pick against him until that does not happen. Me uh, neither. Okay, so uh, Rick Ross is going to be at Memphis Madness on Saturday night. <laughs> I knew we were going to get to Rick Ross. Do you do you think this has an effect on recruits? I mean, listen, they, they've, they're selling tickets, $5 each, um, to get them in advance, and it's basically already sold out 18000 at FedEx Forum for um, Memphis Madness on Saturday night. Some of that's just rooted in people love basketball here. Uh, a lot of it is also rooted in the idea that, you know, Rick Ross, and with his latest single being literally uh, about Elvis Presley Boulevard, it's titled Elvis Presley Boulevard, which is, uh, for folks who don't know, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's actually Highway 51. It's a stretch of road that runs in front of Graceland in Memphis. And so, um, but I, I guess my question is this, does... Do you think, and I think St. John's is having French Montana, right? So like in, in, in the past, um, you know, 50 Cent's been at Villanova. Nicki Minaj has been at Drake Villanova. Drake at Kentucky, yeah. I Drake's mean, at had, Kentucky. Wale yeah. was at Syracuse, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, does this have an effect on recruiting? Does this help? I think maybe small tangible benefits. I don't think recruits are going to go to a, a college because a certain guy came to Midnight Madness, but I think one thing can in some ways lead to another. You sure. know, you're lured to a certain event because this guy might be there. Oh, dude, I love this rapper. You're close with a certain recruit that's like, I'm going to go here because he's there. You go. One thing leads to another. I think, I, I think college coaches are 
very aware of stuff that can relate to these 17 year olds and what can get them to make decisions. Um, I would not put it on the top 10 list of things that impact a decision, but I don't think that it means nothing. I, I really, when you can get well-known hip hop stars, this is, you know, when these guys are unplugging, most of them, 95% of them are listening to these kind of artists on their iPod when they're not, you know, in school playing basketball. I think that does have an, an impact, but I mean, what I want to really just briefly touch on is that you're going to be, are you challenging Rick Ross and winging in contests or is Rick Ross a judge or are you the judge? Can you clarify uh, well, uh, first, what is I, happening here? First, I would never challenge Rick Ross in anything. <laughs> okay. That, that seems, that seems irresponsible. Um, I, I don't know the details. All I know is that um, I and listen. I'm not trying to pretend I'm best friends with Rick Ross. I'm not. But he he is. Uh, he maybe is, are. I, don't I know. am. I am. Okay. <laughs> I am best friends with Rick Ross. But um, he he's in he's in Memphis a whole lot. He he has. Um, I can't. I think his mother lives here, maybe, or or is from here. There's some sort of actual like blood connection. Uh, to to Memphis, and then he owns like you know five or six Wingstop franchises here in the Memphis area. So he's here all the time, and um, so I've gotten to know his his people, like his business associates, um, because you know he's come up to my radio, like he was in our, our radio studio, like just hanging out. We were eating and we were eating wings with Rick Ross, just like hanging out, right? And uh, he's a hilarious guy, and like really like easy to like hang out with. Um, you know the, the the stuff you see in the videos. I mean that is that's that's it's a character. He's playing a character. Um, I mean, th- some of that's real, but like you turn all that stuff off. He's just a guy eating hot wings with us and, and laughing. So, um, but I've gotten to know his people, I, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, certainly more than I've gotten to know Rick. And he, um, they, they called me a few weeks ago and said, Hey, listen, Rick's going to do this at Memphis Madness. And uh, we want you to be involved in a, in a hot wing eating contest. And so I still don't have all the details on it, but I think there is a scenario under which in front of 18,000 people, at FedEx Forum, I will be in a hot wing eating contest with Rick Ross. I think the the plan was going to be it was going to be me again, loose plan. But um, I think the initial idea was to have me, Rick Ross, Jerry Lawler, Penny Hardaway, and maybe Elliot Perry, something like that. And like, and maybe if the Grizzlies are in town, like Zach Randolph or Tony Allen or whatever. So it, it could be um, it could be interesting if nothing else. Although I will tell you, I don't. Um, I don't like touching food with my hands, and so it makes hot wing eating contests very difficult. I've been in one previously, but I happened—I wore gloves while I did it. Okay, that's yeah. ridiculous. The, the th- but in terms of like, does it help recruiting? I, the way I try to explain it to people um, who are my age and 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 frankly my race is is that like if when we were kids or like if we were 16, 17 years old, and let, let's say we were great baseball players, right? And there was an equivalent. Of, of of madness celebrations on the baseball side of things like it was as big of a deal and they were like bringing Kurt Cobain or like um Trent Reznor or Eddie Vedder or you know whatever yeah like like dude like you would be there like you would go oh I, that's absolutely where I'm going I want to go meet Kurt Cobain like you, yeah that would absolutely register with with me as a teenager and you as a teenager and so like it, it seems more than likely to me that 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 a Rick Ross or a Wale or a French Montana or a Drake or whatever that I don't know if it's the reason somebody's going to sign a letter of intent, but but can it be a tool to get people on campus who otherwise might not be there? I think that's undeniable. I totally agree. So um, you want to talk about Pearl Jam now or what, man? Yeah, let's. Um, okay, you're a big Pearl Jam fan, right? Uh, so, yeah, they would be in my they would be in my top five bands of all time. Okay, so I. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I listen. I was born in nineteen ninety seven. I wish ninety seven. <laughs> God, 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 I wish I was born in nineteen ninety seven. Just said I was born in nineteen ninety seven. How awesome would that be? I would be what now? What seventeen years old? You'd be wanting to meet Rick Ross. Yes, man. How great would it be to be seventeen years old and have this? Have I would still like to have all my jobs. I, I would like to have all my jobs, but to have, be seventeen and, and gainfully employed—that would be ideal. That's wild, man. I would give anything to have been born in nineteen ninety-seven. Uh, but in fact, I was born in nineteen seventy-seven. My point being, like, I was in high school from like ninety-two to ninety-five, right? I mean, that was the years where where Pearl Jam, you know, that's that, those are the years where the Pearl, you know, where Tin was released and 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 verses and. You know, all of that stuff. And so um, when I was in high school, tell me if this is a fair assessment, that they were they were the biggest band in the world or certainly among them, right? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I guess were, you could always say like the Rolling Stones are the biggest band nah, in the world Yeah, but forever. no, no, no. It's but more about I mean. like the culture's consciousness. So sure. at that point, yes, Pearl Jam. The funny thing about Pearl Jam is actually is as they were like ascending to clearly like dominating the world, they intentionally was like, screw Ticketmaster. Right. They like insisted on continuing putting out their albums on vinyl when no one was making vinyl records during the 90s. There's stuff like that. They are, uh, yes, and they've maintained kind of a, a terrific status. And to the point where now Pearl Jam fans are the next closest thing, and I know you're not a big Springsteen guy, they're the next closest thing to Springsteen fans in that they, they're they a little bit older than Dave Matthews Band fans, but they still go to a lot of concerts. They you know, they count the concerts they go to. Uh, obviously, the band puts on a tremendous live show. It's a long show. Mm -hmm. So they've managed to be tremendously successful and keep a massive hardcore fan base. They're not like us, like trying to think of a band that's got uh, like, okay, how about this? Wilco really respected been around almost 20 years now but they don't have a massive hardcore fan base they have a they're no, they play amphitheaters you know they play yeah. they play well, Pearl Jam uh, Pearl Jam will play a stadium and 80% of the people in that stadium will recognize the song instantly when it starts sure. um, or it's it or a b-side yeah so like you know i think like most people my age like you were even if you don't even know it you were influenced by pearl jam in some way like it might have been the the, the way you dressed it, it could be any the the things you suddenly cared about like you know the you you, you were probably yelling you know Ticketmaster sucks at some point you don't even know why you, you just knew that eddie vetter said that and so you were gonna say that um even going so far as to like you know, I, I think there are probably a lot of people my age who, when they were 16, 15, 16 years old, would have never listened to, say, Neil Young. But because Eddie Vedder loved Neil yeah. Young, you listen to Neil Young, right? Or, um, hey, there, there, um, there's this movie, Singles, coming out. Uh, well, yeah, gonna, people, you, some, yeah, a lot of people forget they're in that. Yeah. You're going to go see it because, like, Pearl Jam's in it, right? And so, um, you know, they, they were a huge part, to the extent that any of this stuff could be a huge part of my, like, teenage years. So um, I'd seen them back then multiple times. and uh, but, but yeah, I went last night. They were in Memphis last night, FedEx Forum. Jam-packed. Um, you know, if there was a seat empty, I didn't see it. Um, and listen, I, I, I got some tickets at the, I don't want to say the last minute, but within the past couple of days. I wasn't sure that I was going to go um, for a variety of reasons. You know, it's, it's a Tuesday night as opposed to a Saturday night. You know, I, I, I have a nine-month-old baby, uh, uh, you know, and, and plus an 11-year-old. Uh, you know, it's just like the, like the real life. When you get older, these types of things are a little more difficult. And yet I decided to go, and I'm so glad. It was awesome. They were terrific. I mean, you never yeah. know how bands are going to hold up and – and um and 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 particularly like Eddie Vedder's forty nine years old. <laughs> I don't I know. He's forty. Still like, brings it. It was great. Like it was a great, great, great yeah. show. I mean, they were. Um, I mean, you know, if and and 
and like really, I don't know. It was just, it was, it was great. They were terrific. I'm when's the last, the when's the last time you saw them? Yeah, the set uh, list was awesome. Well, here's the thing. I have, this is, I have never seen them, man. It is ridiculous. What? You've never seen Dude, them? Dude, I'm telling you, it? I'm not lying to you when I tell you that. So I live in Connecticut and the past, I don't know, call it the past five times they've played the garden and the past like three times they've played in Hartford. I'm telling you every single time, twice I've had tickets. I had tickets to Barclays last year and I actually couldn't do it because of work. Every single time they play, something in my real life interferes. It is an unbelievably bad stroke of luck. And I'm telling you the next time, like unless I have a child being born or a family member's funeral, I'm going to see Pearl Jam. Trust me, it is a brutally bad, 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 bad streak of luck here. Um, I'm looking at the set. You had a good set. Uh, they always close with Rockin' the Free World and Lead Better, but whatever. Um, you got Spin the Black Circle. That's huge. Pendulum to open, which I think they've been doing a lot. Uh, Rearview Mirror. What was your, but what was your highlight? What, like, what top two songs last night did you enjoy most or did they perform that seemed to stand out to you? Oh, you know, I think the, the, the songs that register most with me, because like, I'll be honest with you, like I listened to Pearl Jam a lot when I was, you know, uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, even through like college. And then, you know, my, my music interests change. Um, yep. I, you know, it, it, you know, every your my interest in everything changes. Right. And so um, I, I the early stuff, uh, I think for most people my age is going to register uh, in a different way than than the more recent stuff. Um, beyond that, I, I will say this. I, I had, you know, the, I, there was a point in my life where you like like most, again, most kids my age who were sort of part of that grunge movement or, or whatever we're calling it these days. Um, like you listen to Pearl Jam, you know, every day. You listen to Alice in Chains every day. You listen to yeah. Soundgarden and Nirvana every day. And and so I can remember being, I don't know, late 20s, I guess, and having not listened to a Pearl Jam album in forever. And I happened to be like at a, like it was a poker game. And so they would be like playing music and some guy put in verses. And it was the first time I'd heard verses in like, I don't know, 10 years maybe. And I was like, man, this album like still like, I don't know. It just like, I don't know. I, I Totally, man. Yeah. So, um, so for me, like, you know, them playing Porch was like terrific. Yes. Right? Uh, playing Wash, you know, was awesome. Uh, you know, and then the, 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 the obvious favorites like that everybody has, uh, Black and uh, Even yeah. Flow. And, um, but the, I think the end was the best, which I guess is the way a concert's designed to be. I mean, they closed with Free World and, and all the lights in, the, in FedEx form were on. Like they just turned on all the lights. Right? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So you could see everything and everybody and um yeah it was just uh yeah it was it was a really good show i cannot believe you've never seen them dude it's i know it's trust me i'm i don't wear that with a badge of honor it's a badge of embarrassment because uh, it's just stupid um i'm just telling you like every single time something gets in the way um and it's uh like one time a buddy of mine swore he had tickets for me fell through um just all sorts of stuff i mean two weddings have fallen on the same day and at the time, they were like, oh, "I'll just, go. you know, it just it just keeps not happening." And on this tour they're on right now, they're not playing around me, so I can't see them. I did tell mutual followers that I would rank Pearl Jam albums, so I feel obligated to do that. So I would go, "Yield." Uh, Yield is actually the album. Like I own ten. Ten was the first record I ever had because my uncle bought it for me and actually mailed it to me because he heard it and he loved it. And I like listened. And I was like, whatever. I let it sit for like two years. And then I li- and then I heard Black on the radio and something about the way the song started, where it's kind of got that muted thing. I thought that was kind of cool. Didn't even realize that it was Pearl Jam. Got introduced to them and. Uh, I got into that a little bit, but then I Dude, bought... I can remember seeing the Alive video for the first time. 
And like yeah. the, you got to remember, like right when he the, climbs, yeah, alive is when he climbs up. Oh no, is that even flow? I'm trying to remember what alive that's is. That's even flow. Alive was I don't remember, but like the, the climbing all around, acting like an idiot. That was even flow. That was yeah. even flow. Yeah, that's yes. even. But I can remember seeing the alive. I think I was a freshman in high school, maybe, and I can remember seeing the alive video for the first time and going, "This band is going to be huge." Like and and like then it just it took off. Like within a month of that, I can remember getting the ten album. And none of my friends had had heard it, and and I and a month like literally a month later, like everybody in the world had heard it, you know, like yeah. it, it happened. It happened. Uh, they got they got massively big, and people think that Nirvana actually uh, like kind of birthed Pearl Jam. That's not true. Pearl Jam actually recorded ten before Nevermind was really even in the social consciousness. It just you know it was that scene in Seattle, and it kind of all bursted out at once. Um, but I'll go. Yield is one versus is two. Uh, I would probably say Vitology is three, but it's got like, you know, it's got bugs and Hey, Foxy, Mo, Mo Fandle, Mom. It's got some random stuff on there, but the good on Vitology is so good that I would actually put it three, ten, four. Now, you know what? No code four, ten, five. Um, I'm actually oddly really big on Riot Act. A lot of Pearl Jam fans don't like Riot Act, their O2 album, but I really like that a lot. I'd go that six. I'd go Backspacer, the one they put out in 09 with the cool cover. Um, I'd go that. Then I'd go Avocado, the self-titled one, Binaural. And then I didn't like Lightning Bolt was their most recent one. That was the only one where I was kind of... That and Binaural, the two where I'm just kind of like not that into them. But I love Yield. And Versus Remains, like, I'd say... Eh, probably realistically like once every two months like when i have just a day where i'm just gonna go running for an hour like i will run to verses because it is a terrific workout album yeah i i'm not good at ranking albums like my favorite band's probably like the beatles and I, if you ask me it, 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 like every three months i'll probably give you a different Beatles yeah, album you. as my favorite um the only the only one i i, I think i'd go versus one the only thing i'm like in terms of ranking albums i'm certain of is that uh, when people rank Kanye albums, I get mad when they don't have Dark Fantasy number one. I know a lot of people have College Dropout one, but I get mad when uh, to me to me you have to have Dark Fantasy one and 808s higher than most people think, and and those are the only things. Yeah, because 808s gets hated on a lot. I'm I, not I, a huge Kanye fan, but I know that 808s does not have a good uh, reputation overall. Uh, no, I like that album a lot, and so um, but with Pearl Jam, I think I would go Versus. I think Versus is the album. Uh, I, I like that. most. I can't, but you got to go see it. You, you will at some point. I mean, it's not like they're going away anytime soon, but I, I saw them. Um, I saw them at the, the Mid-South Coliseum. Like the, that's the old place. Like, like on the 10 tour or the versus tour, it was very early on. And then I saw them. This was cool. At an outside football stadium in New Orleans, my freshman year of college um, with Joey Ramone opening up. So, yeah, you've actually told me that. Yeah, yeah. In, this, that, in, it, it would be an entirely different podcast. Parrish has about thirty. I saw these bands win stories. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like way back when. I mean, you were just you were on a tour de force back in the nineties, man. That was. Uh... Oh God, I wish I was born in nineteen ninety seven. Okay, real quick, can we can we just talk Gone Girl real quick because I saw it last night. Did you like it? Yeah. So, and obviously, you haven't seen it. You know, just stop listening to the podcast because we're going to spoil some stuff here. Uh, okay, so I liked it, but. I definitely felt that it like going in, my wife was like dying to see it to the point where like we never see movies in the theater on a weeknight. But she's like, I want to see it. Uh, let's go now. Um, I liked a lot of it. I did not know anything going in, which was good because I didn't I didn't see any of the twists coming. I thought Affleck was just OK. Like I thought Aff I kind of 
the reason why I was going in was I thought it'd be a cool story, but I thought Affleck was going to give like this amazing performance. He was actually kind of just like, whatever. Right. Um, and I guessed wrong. So I thought Neil Patrick Harris's character, I thought he was like sleuthing on the side and was going to turn her in. Um, I didn't realize that he was going to be what she said he was and that he was a creep that stalked her. And like, he was like, you know, when she came to him and she went back to him and like, he was all about it. I thought he was like playing the long game, the long con. And, um, I thought that's how it was going to end when it didn't go that way. I actually thought the movie would end and I actually wish it ended like this, but it's not the book. So they didn't, I thought the last scene of the movie was going to be after she gets back to the house, bloody, I thought she was the the final scene would be her attempting to kill herself and it would fade to black so you don't know if she ever went through with it or not. Um, overall, I liked it, but there were like serious I like in my opinion there's no way she could have gotten away with faking her own death to that degree where she fooled so many people because I felt like there were massive plot holes. Oh, cool. well anytime you get something that complicated and and frankly um unrealistic you're gonna have plot holes right i mean it, it's very difficult not to you just i think you have to suspend a little bit of that um i i really liked it here's what i would say i don't know if it's gonna win awards and stuff has it won like any of the stuff you could win to date i don't even know right um i don't know if it's that kind of film but if you're looking to just be i don't know totally engrossed in a movie for two yeah, hours it's, and oh, minutes, it's gripping as hell yeah like it's like, definitely it's, gripping it is that right i mean you are not gonna be bored like you will sit there and watch this film and you're constantly thinking okay, what's going on and where's this going and what's the deal and what happened? And so if you're, if you're, if you're into it for simply a viewing experience that'll keep you engaged for two hours and 25 minutes, um, it's absolutely good enough to do that. It, it, it's in fact, it's great for that. Um, I, I liked, I liked it more when I was genuinely, cause we get, you get to a point in the film again, if you're still listening and you haven't seen it, Norlander warned you, but you get to a point in the film where, you, where you know what's going on. There's like, I don't know if it's a halfway through or three quarters yeah, of the way like through. Yeah, it's like 40% through when they, when it's the first big reveal that she faked her own kidnapping. Yeah, yeah like, okay, so you don't, but like, so I liked it better when I genuinely didn't know what was going on. When you're, when you're, when you're genuinely wondering Okay, did did Affleck do this? Yes, I did wonder if I did wonder if he actually did it. Yes, right. So you just sure. I I liked it better when when you're guessing when you're still trying you're waiting to figure out okay what on earth happened to this woman and so on and so on. once you know what happened and then the then it became less interesting to me. Um, I, I would ag- I would agree with that. But I still uh, I still was like you know it never it didn't feel long it didn't feel. Um, it is a great movie to see if you are if you are nothing more than interested in being really entertained and 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 you know, by a film like it's great for that. You're not going to be bored. It's worth seeing. I I would recommend it to anybody, even if I don't know if it's um high quality filmmaking. You know. And it was made by David, David Fincher, Fincher right. who I mean, film buffs know who he is. But this is, the, I mean, he's just an amazing director. He did Seven, he did Zodiac, he did Fight Club, he did the Notebook, uh, the Social Network. I said the Notebook, the Social Network, Girl with Dragon Tattoo. He is, uh, he's like an amazing director. He, I mean, the way he is able to just kind of take you into a movie and just really just wrap the thing around your brain as you're watching it is terrific. But um, yeah, just overall, like. I guess the only other thing, real quick, and then we got to wrap up. We're going on an hour here, but ultimately, I just didn't buy the wife's motivations for doing this. Like, to me, 
okay, was she going to kill herself? Was she not going to kill herself? Then her plan absolutely totally changes when she gets robbed. She watches her husband's confession on TV and she's like, okay, I guess I'll just kill my creepy stalker ex-boyfriend now and go like, ultimately I did not get why she was doing this in the first place because she was unhappy in her marriage and she had to put her husband in her place. Because she's bananas. Like she was like, she was totally bananas. Right. You can't make sense of anything. What, what, like, you can't make you're trying to make sense out of the yes, but I, situation. All right, she's so that's bananas. what my wife said. But then, like, okay, so she's bananas. But to me, that's fine. I'll accept that. But they didn't establish enough of the leap from her having it. Like, she obviously was bananas because there was holdover from her childhood and her parents creating this fictional character that sold all these books, and she wasn't as good as the character. I just they didn't have a scene or or anything that made us clearly see the leap where she goes from you know, underachieving Northeast child to these, you know, Ivy League educated parents to just flat out psychopath, you know? She's it just, just kind of happens. That's the way it happens. People are just crazy. <laughs> Sometimes people are I just liked crazy. It. But I guess the point <laughs> is I liked it and it has me asking a lot of questions, which is a great thing with the movie. But by no means did I walk out of it being like, oh my God, that was absolutely incredible. I just thought the hype was a little. Yeah, I didn't think it was, oh my God, incredible. I do think it is Hey, you really should see that, you know? Like, yeah, I would, I would if definitely. If we are giving the official thumbs up, thumbs down from the Ion College Basketball Podcast movie review, I would say thumbs up. You should we see it. We do a thumbs up. We do yeah. a thumbs up. Yeah, and I we think- can do this, you know, every, every, you know, couple months when there's a big one, if we've both seen it, we can have, uh, Parish and Norlanders movie hour. <laughs> By the way, Borzella, Borzella, did you want to say anything on this podcast? Oh, I'm sorry. I know. I was. <laughs> somebody was like, uh, you know, it'll, it'll it'll suck not having Borzella on the podcast, and people were like, who will even notice? Like, no, he, we love Borzella. We, we miss him. I mean, Jeff if for some Borzella. reason you're listening and aren't aware, he uh, he took a good job and a good offer at ESPN to work on recruiting insider stuff with him. So, um, you know, he'll be missed. You know, we'll still talk to him, but no, I'm, I am not going to talk to you're him. You're not. Well, listen, no. this is now war. It's it's you and me versus. Uh, Borzello and Goodman. So uh, I'll gladly side up next to you and uh, and bring it on. That's what I say. At least we don't have to be behind a paywall, right? Dude, you're telling me, man. No paywall here. Absolutely. Uh, we, we love George. We love Jeff Borzello. We will miss him dearly. Remember, today's Ion College Basketball Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is constantly improving its platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, uh, they got an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It starts at just $8 a month, includes free domain name if you sign up for a year, and every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, meaning your content will look great on every device, every time. So go ahead and launch your free trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. Again, when you sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support for the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional uh, website. Like Nat Norlander said, we have kept you here. Looks like a little more than an hour, so we will let you go. As always, appreciate you guys being here at CBSSports.com. Listen to the podcast, uh, reading what we write, watching the videos, interacting with us on Twitter. Remember, you can subscribe uh, to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest, so make sure to do that. It's free. And free is awesome. Uh, So go knock that out, and we will talk to you again uh, really soon. Take care.